the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to Reaching Your Heart. Pastor Michael Oxentenko's message today is entitled, A Dead Man's Daughter. That's A Dead Man's Daughter, and you can find it online at ReachingYourHeart.com. Here at Reaching Your Heart, we believe that God answers prayer. If you need prayer, you can call us at any time, 24-7. Here's the phone number, 888-244-HOPE. That's 888-244-4673. Here now is Pastor Michael Oxentenko with the first portion of A Dead Man's Daughter. Today's Reaching Your Heart. Dear Father God, as we bow our heads, I want to thank you for faith giants. They may not feel like faith giants, but men and women who took a mustard seed of faith when all the experts said there's no way on earth they could make it. And Lord, you have answered their prayers. And we're moving forward, Lord, because of Jesus. Father, thank you for the year of the Lord's favor, which we are enjoying. The year of the Lord's favor. And Father, may we expand our vision. May we not look to the past, because the past is behind us. Father, Jesus is coming. May we expand the ministries and the vision of Reaching Hearts International, Father, for the remnant message of this church, that is to bring men and women to Jesus around the world. And Father, when it's done, we want to stand on the sea of glass holding hands tight in a state of total obedience to you, Father. Not to the right or to the left, to the super conservatives or to the liberals, but where Jesus stands. And Father, we want people to stand with us. And so bless us this day as we seek to learn from your word. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, in the Gospel of Luke, Jesus starts his ministry by casting the devil out of the synagogue. In fact, scholars have told us that what we have in the Gospel of Luke is really Christ overtaking the demonic domain, which is in fact in the synagogue. In Luke 4, Jesus was tempted by the devil in the wilderness. And with his victory over the devil, he moves into the place of the church to overcome the devil inside the synagogue. You remember the devil in the temptation took him to the top of the temple trying to force him to work a miracle by throwing himself down. And Christ refused to join the devil's air force. He would not fly like an angel to impress the devil. In Luke 4.31, Christ comes to the synagogue in Capernaum with the stature, with the authority of his moral victory over Satan. And in the synagogue, a demon, very likely the devil himself, cried out with a loud voice, And he challenged Jesus' authority to be in the synagogue. He said, have you come to destroy us? Now the demon was only one, but he spoke for the many. He said, us, we are here. Have you come to take us out? And the answer is obviously yes. Christ came to the synagogue to take the devil and his demons out. It's no accident that Jesus chose Capernaum as the base of his operations in the Gospel of Luke. You see, the synagogue at Capernaum had become a synagogue of Satan under his authority. It's not the capital of Rome. It's not Jerusalem that becomes the critical city, the critical center in the expansion of the Gospel mission. It's the small town that has to make magnificent decisions. 
It's the small little place of worship that becomes the center of satanic struggle that determines the course of human history. Dear heart, we don't gather in the biggest church on earth. We're not a mega church. But what happens in our church, what happens in our lives is something of cosmic significance. And so Jesus came to the synagogue at Capernaum. What makes a holy house an unholy house? This is the question we might ask. What turns a place of worship into the devil's den? And what transforms the house built for the spirit of God, the spirit of the living God, into a church full of evil spirits? I mean, this is kind of necessitated in the storyline of the Gospel of Luke. In fact, this is the context for the story of Jairus introduced in Luke 8, verse 40. Take your Bibles, turn with me to Luke chapter 8, beginning in verse 40. Now, when Jesus returned, the crowd welcomed him, for they were all waiting for him. And there came a man named Jairus, who was a ruler of the synagogue, and falling at Jesus' feet, he besought him to come to his house. Now, in verse 40, the text says, Jesus returned. And when the reader reads a verse like this, of course, the question is asked, where did Jesus return to? What is the place that he returned to in the context? Luke 7, verse 1, in the preceding chapter, this narrative holds the key to the place that he returned. So in Luke 8, 41, we see here, it tells us that Jairus was a ruler of the synagogue. But when we go back one chapter to Luke 7, verse 1, we discover another ruler, but not the ruler of the synagogue, a ruler who built the synagogue. He was not a Jew. He was, in fact, a Roman. Let's look at Luke 7, verse 1, and follow the storyline. After he had ended all his sayings and the hearing of the people, Jesus entered Capernaum. Now, a centurion had a slave who was dear to him, who was sick at the point of death. And he heard of Jesus, and he sent him elders of the Jews asking him to come and heal his slave. And when they came to Jesus, they besought him earnestly, saying, He is worthy to have you do this for him, for he loves our nation, and he built us our synagogue. Luke is very careful here to record that the elders of the Jews came to Jesus in Capernaum. They considered the centurion a righteous Gentile because he had taken his money, he had taken his clout, and he had poured it into their house of worship. He built their magnificent place of worship. He is worthy, they said to Jesus. Now they show in this statement that they have a fundamental lack of faith in God. They also show that they can be bought as believers. He built us our synagogue. So much is found in that simple statement. The elders of the synagogue offer here no credit to God. They say the Roman centurion built the synagogue and he is worthy. In the second century B.C., Judas Maccabeus made a treaty with the Romans. Now, Judas Maccabeus was this military leader that had helped to liberate Palestine from the hold of Antiochus Epiphanes, had cleansed the temple from the profanation of this evil king. And he made a peace treaty with the Roman Empire in the year 166 B.C. because he hated Antiochus Epiphanes. But when the Jewish people made that treaty, they essentially said, God will no longer be our king. We will no longer trust ourselves to his divine protection. We need the protection of Rome. You see, the nation of Israel chose Rome deliberately as its leader. They chose a Caesar instead of God, and Rome became the ruler of the synagogue instead of Jesus Christ. In Revelation 12, the great red dragon with ten horns and seven heads is a symbol of the Roman Empire that tried to gobble up the Lord Jesus Christ when he was born. 
And that dragon was also called in verse 9, Satan, that ancient serpent. So you see, Rome was more than Rome. Behind Rome, there was a spiritual force. There was a spiritual power. And Satan himself had established the Roman Empire as his kingdom. So, so much is said in this statement. They said, he built for us our synagogue. The Jewish people had come to believe that the synagogue was their synagogue instead of God's synagogue. And they'd accepted Roman rule instead of God's rule. So the elders of the Jews came to Jesus at Capernaum with a request clothed with unbelief and pride. The sin of unbelief and the sin of pride, I believe, are the twin sins that make a holy house become a synagogue of Satan. And so they had, by degree, by compromise, they had forfeited their relationship with God and they had a religious experience that was not from God. The Roman centurion told Jesus, I am not worthy for you to come into my house. I mean, here they are, they're saying he's worthy. And he comes to Christ and he says, I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy at all. You speak the word. You speak the word because I know who you are. You have authority and I have authority in my own sphere. And I recognize you as a spiritual authority. You speak the word and my servant will be healed. You don't come to my house. Your word is good enough for me. Jesus made this statement concerning the ruler who built the synagogue at Capernaum. Luke 7, verse 9, I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such faith. Christ spoke these words in the ears of the elders who came from the Jews who lived in that place. He said, this man here is an example of what we should find in Israel, but I don't find it here. Luke 8, 41 records that Jairus was the ruler of the synagogue. In Luke 8, 40, Luke writes that Jesus returned. The context indicates very clearly he returned to Capernaum. He returned to the place of that synagogue. He came back to the place where he cast the demon out of the synagogue in Luke 4 when he started his ministry. He came back to the place where the Jews had met him in Luke 7, asking him to heal the centurion's servant, these elders of the synagogue. And he came back to the place where the elders of the synagogue had essentially said, he built for us the synagogue. And so this is the place of Christ's return. It's no accident that Jesus returned to Capernaum immediately after he cast the demons from the demoniac who lived in the tombs. You look at the storyline in Luke 8. Before Christ comes and before Jairus meets him, he is there casting the devil out of a man who lives in the tombs. And as soon as he does that, as soon as he moves from the house of death, he comes back to this place of the synagogue. And he comes back because there is a correlation of ideas here. You see, it's no accident. Luke records in Luke 8 that the man who lived in the tombs was naked and he lived far away from his home and family. He was a living dead man in the cold without a white robe to clothe his nakedness and shame. And in that sense, the ruler of the synagogue was the same way. He was living in a house of worship, but it was fundamentally similar to what that demoniac had been experiencing. He too lived in fear of the forces of evil. He lived far away from his home and family, and he lived under the control of demons too. There is an intentional contrast in the story between the tombs in Luke 8 and the synagogue at Capernaum in Luke 8. In the storyline, Jesus left the tombs and the man who lived among the dead for the land of unbelief and the synagogue of Satan at Capernaum. When the elders of the Jews came to Jesus to ask him to heal the centurion's son, the text does not say that the ruler of the synagogue came with them. Luke is a very careful historian. If Jairus had been with them, Luke would have said, well, when those elders showed up and the centurion was there, there was Jairus. But Jairus, being the leader of that religious institution, opted out of the engagement with Jesus. 
He sent others to Jesus. Jairus, the ruler of the synagogue, was too good to come to Jesus himself. He was too important to bow down and ask Jesus to heal the centurion's son. So he sent a delegation of elders, and he asked them to ask Jesus to heal the centurion. Now, it doesn't matter how important you are. It doesn't matter if you are a priest or a preacher. It doesn't matter if you grew up in the church and you think you know it all, and you can quote all the Bible verses in the world. And I'll get a little more personal here. It doesn't matter if your father was a conference president or a world leader or a division leader or an elder in the local church or a theologian. That doesn't matter one lick to God. You cannot be healed, dear heart, unless you come to Jesus for yourself. You see, there is no merit in your achievement. There's no merit in your biological connection. There's no merit in your church affiliation. If you don't have Jesus, you've got nothing in your life. And so this man had to make a choice in his life. Instead of sending someone to Jesus for him, he came to the point where he had to come to Jesus for himself. And when you're dead, spiritually speaking, someone else's prayers won't heal you. You have to pray for God to heal you, and you have to come to Jesus, and you have to fall on your knees yourself and ask Jesus to heal you. The synagogue at Capernaum had become a tomb of proud hearts, empty words, and dead lives. Jairus came to Jesus as a dead man walking. He was the leader of the synagogue of Satan. He was the one in charge of the house that should have been God's house instead of the demon's domain. He should have had a different kind of leadership in the church. And in the story, Jairus is driven by his need to come to Jesus. It's funny, a person can feel very important in life. You have great achievements, but when everything cracks, when your achievements fail, when your diplomas mean nothing, when you are standing on the edge of failure and you are looking at a future you cannot manage, a heart that is strong can become weak. And dear heart, it is in the weakness the heart finds God, not in its strength. And so he came with his need to Jesus. The proud heart that would not come the first time came in person the second time because his house was in danger. Yes, his house, not the church, his own home, was in danger of becoming a tomb. He was the ruler of the synagogue, but he was now a dead man walking in the house of death with no authority to save the life of his little girl. He could not stop the illness from progressing. He could not stop death's door from closing shut. He was in a pinch, and in his need he came to Jesus. Let's read Luke 8, 40 and 41 again with this entire context in mind. Suddenly these verses are alive with meaning. Now when Jesus returned, the crowd welcomed him, for they were all waiting for him. He came to Capernaum, to the place of the synagogue. That's where he returned. Verse 41, And there came a man named Jairus, who was a ruler of the synagogue, and falling at Jesus' feet, he besought him to come to his house. For he had an only daughter, about 12 years of age, and she was dying. And as he went, the people pressed round him. The text says Jairus' daughter was dying. I don't know about you, but my worst horror scenario is to stand in the presence of my child and see that child die. For a parent, isn't that the worst kind of nightmare you can imagine? Many years ago, I came very close to seeing that. My little boy was at Andrews University. I was working on a doctorate in New Testament. And as we were walking as a family together, he was very small. He ran into the road and nearly got run over by a car. And I remember very clearly as he was on the other side, I said, John Michael, stay on the other side and don't come back. He's never been fully obedient in these matters. 
And he looked at me in fear. He says, well, Daddy. And he started running back through the road. There was this big truck that was storming by, and it almost ran over him. To avoid the collision, I leapt in front of the truck, tackled my own boy on the other side, as this police officer was just standing there looking at the whole thing, doing nothing. It was an amazing mix of events. But I remember the fear and the cold feeling I had as I held him tight in my arms, and I realized I had almost lost my child. Now, as I saw him running back for me, as I saw him head across the road, and I saw that truck coming for him, in that singular moment, I lost my child in my own head. I saw him die in front of my eyes because we anticipate what will happen when cause and effect are in play. It's only the miracle of God that left my boy with me. So this is the worst nightmare a parent can imagine. There was Jairus caught in the throes of the ultimate nightmare. His daughter was dying. He planned with Jesus to come to his house in the storyline. The centurion who had built the synagogue told Jesus, don't bother to come to my house. I'm not worthy for you to come under my roof. But I believe that all you need to do is speak the word and my servant will be healed. You have the authority and the disease will leave my house and my servant will be healed. But in the Gospel of Luke, Jairus is the polar opposite of the centurion who believed in Jesus. The centurion said, don't come to my house. Jairus said, please come to my house. The centurion said, speak the word and my servant will be healed. Jairus never asked Jesus to say a thing. He didn't trust Christ's word. He wanted Christ's presence, not his word. He wanted Jesus' presence instead of his teaching, his powerful authority of his word. And so he just wanted Jesus to come, the miracle worker. The faith of the centurion was strong and pure. The faith of Jairus was weak and tainted. So here's the question. What do you do when you're a leader in the church and you have a hard time believing Jesus' word for yourself? What happens when you come and you lead in worship or you have prayer or you're a soul winner and you look deep inside and you have self-doubt inside of you? Dear heart, there's only one thing left to do. There's only one thing left to do for you. Luke says in verse 41, Jairus fell at Jesus' feet and he begged him to come to his house. That's the good thing that Jairus did. When was the last time you fell on your knees and you begged Jesus to come to your house? Are you afraid of losing a son or daughter to unbelief, to bad associations and bad choices? I mean, are you like bent out of shape because you can't control the direction of your children's lives and you want them to choose God, but they're not? But maybe if you're honest and you look deep within, you're not choosing God. Your life is out of control too. And maybe your children are a reflection of you and something is wrong in your entire family system. So are you fearful that your house of faith will become a house of death? Is your family in trouble because the demons have control of you and your children? Now what I mean by that is, is your will surrendered to the will of forces other than the Holy Spirit? You know, does the home entertainment system control you instead of the Word of God? Are you more interested in going to a movie than going to prayer meeting? Do you take less time to pray and more time to talk about the latest love novel or fantasy novel or these wizard novels that are out there? Are you more concerned about Jesus Christ, who is the wisdom of God? I mean, where are you at in your life? Are you lost to faith in Jesus in the future because of your unbelief? You see, you can be in the church. You can look faithful, you can look religious, but you can have compromise in these core areas and you can functionally be under the control of the enemy, dear heart. And so Christ came to a situation like that. I believe it's time to come to Jesus with a little faith, the little faith that you have. 
You may not be a mountainous person of faith. You may not be like the centurion. You may come with a lot of doubt, but Jairus came to Jesus with his doubt and his fear. He came and he fell at his feet and he said, Come to my house. In the story, Jairus' daughter was dying and Jairus was a dead man walking in a spiritual house of unbelief. The man who was the ruler of the synagogue had no authority in his own house to cast the devil out and heal his daughter. His house was a house without authority because it was a house without faith in Jesus Christ. There was no personal surrender to the word of God in his life. In the story, his plea to ask Jesus to perform a miracle to save his daughter was interrupted. It was interrupted by another miracle for a person who was forbidden to enter the synagogue. It was one of those people that Jairus himself as the ruler of the synagogue could never let this person come to worship at his church because according to Mosaic ritual law, she had no right to come in. She was unclean. She had a flow of blood for many years and you could not come and associate with such a person. So she was left out of the synagogue. That's the person that stops the rapid movement toward Jairus' house. It's the person that Jairus would not let inside his own church. And the miracle delayed Jesus and because of the delay, Jairus was plunged into utter darkness and despair. Now he was in a difficult situation. He had mapped out the solution. He'd get Jesus to the house in time to save his daughter. And now time was not working for him. This woman that couldn't come to the doors of his church was holding up the master, the teacher, from saving his daughter. He was frustrated. Luke 8, 43. And a woman who had a flow of blood for 12 years and could not be healed by anyone came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment and immediately her flow of blood ceased. And Jesus said, who was it that touched me when all denied it? Peter said, Master, the multitudes surround you and press upon you. But Jesus said, someone touched me for I perceive that power has gone forth from me. Luke is very careful to say that the woman touched the fringe of Jesus' garment. The word fringe is the Greek word kraspadon. It's a very focused, specific word, and it literally means tassel. Every Jew, we know this from Numbers 15, every Jew was commanded by God to wear four blue tassels as a reminder to keep all of God's law. And the same word for tassel that we see here in Luke 8:44, we find in Numbers 15:39 in the Greek Old Testament. When God commanded Israel to do this, in the translation from the Hebrew and the ancient Greek, here is the word that Luke chose for Luke 8, 44. Let's take our Bibles and turn back to Numbers 15, 37. The Lord said to Moses, Speak to the people of Israel and bid them to make tassels on the corners of their garments throughout their generations and to put upon the tassel of each corner a cord of blue. And it shall be to you a tassel to look upon and remember all the commandments of the Lord to do them, not to follow after your own heart and your own eyes, which you are inclined to go after wantingly. So you shall remember to do all my commandments and be holy to your God. I ask you this question. You look at that verse, and as you look at that verse, what did God choose to remind Israel to keep his commandments? They were to place what? Four blue tassels, a cord of blue, on the four corners of their garments to remind them to keep the Ten Commandments of God. In the context, the seventh-day Sabbath had just been violated. A man had picked up sticks on the Sabbath. He had said to God in his face, I don't care about the Sabbath day. That man had lost his life 
because of rebellion. And God, because he's a loving God, wanted to remind the people of Israel that they are to keep all of God's commandments. And so he gave these four blue tassels on every border. They were commanded to put them there to remind them that no matter where their feet went, they were to obey God. They were not to think as if they were smarter than God. They were not to reinterpret his law according to their philosophy. They were to bring their ideas into submission to his word. Thanks for listening today. If this broadcast has ministered to you, remember you can download a copy from reachingyourheart.com. There are also many other messages available at that website. Once again, reachingyourheart.com. If you're a regular listener to this broadcast, or if you've just tuned in for the first time and have been inspired by this sermon, and you'd like to partner with us to help keep these radio broadcasts on the air, you can simply call us at 1-888-244-HOPE. That's 888-244-HOPE, day or night, 24-7. One of our team is available to assist you right now. We believe God is moving across the globe, touching lives and reaching hearts. And you are helping make this a reality with your gift of any amount. These are urgent times and God has an urgent message. God's message in Revelation is one of warning and encouragement and it's a personal appeal to all of mankind. It is his final message before sweeping changes occur across the globe. Events that will take place just prior to Christ's second coming. You see, God doesn't want his church to be surprised by the events that will take place. He wants his church ready for his return. We have a book titled God's Last Altar Call that will encourage you and help you understand what events must take place as found in the book of Revelation. We'll send you this book for a donation of any amount and pray that you will be encouraged to know that you can discern the events that must take place prior to his second coming. Please call at any time, 24-7, 888-244-HOPE. And with a donation of any amount, we'll send the book right out to you entitled, God's Last Altar Call. We pray that you will be lifted up by the biblical insights in this book and grow spiritually in your walk with Christ. Thanks for tuning in, and we pray that God is reaching your heart and growing you up in Christ through these messages. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.